0: I'm delighted to be joined by Bronwyn Vinkham, who has appeared on the Property Nobads podcast before, episode 51. So go and check out the very long format. But Bronwyn has got a really cool strategy that she is working on, something that's a little bit niche, something that you can do as well. Uh, Bronwyn, thank you very much for taking the time out to talk through the strategy. Short-term social housing. That can mean a lot of things to a lot of people, but let's try and narrow that down. What does that
1: Hi Rob. Yes, it's um, it's providing a um, a roof over somebody's head in an emergency. So I'm talking about local councils, um, people who perhaps are staying in council houses um, who find themselves um, in trouble from either a fire, floods, uh, domestic abuse, those sorts of things, where they need to be housed quickly and. almost immediately really so we call it emergency housing down here in the south or certainly in Southampton we do Um, and we provide those um, those rooms for people in that emergency situation and that can be from um, a week uh, up to several months depending on the particular situation for that person or that family.
0: Okay. I Number mean, that, one, that's absolutely fantastic in terms of, you know, giving back to the community and, and stuff like that. Because I think that's quite wasted amongst property people. It's we're all, you know, we're all these big, fat, greedy landlords that are just, you know, money, 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 money. But there are strategies like this that can be of great benefit to the local community. So that's fantastic. What got you into that in the first place?
1: Yes, good question. So... Um... We, we started about six years ago in property and, and we were sort of all in for getting cash flow and replacing our income. And, and we did that through HMOs, Houses of Multiple Occupation, which is quite a common strategy for people, particularly starting out. And we got to the stage where we felt that there was a lot of competition and it was, you know, it was much of the same. Um, and might there be something else we could do that was a bit different Now, we'd found a large property in the past, which we'd converted into flats. And we thought, well, we could do that, make a bit of money from that. And we found a large property um, that already had planning for short term letting. And when we looked at it, we thought, yes, we could convert it to flats, but maybe our plan A could be to let the rooms on a short term basis. Now, how do we go about doing that? And when we did the maths and worked out per room and this this house has got 26 bedrooms, we thought, my goodness, you know, this is actually a lot of money we could earn on a per night basis. But what's our tenant type going to be? What's our guest going to be? Because basically it's, you know, it's it's a BM, it could be a bed and breakfast, a hotel, it could be, you know, for contractors, you know, all sorts of different options. So we started with looking at which 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 guest is going to be the one that's going to suit us in the location the property's in in the middle of Southampton. Um, but also for the room sizes. And over a 12-month period, pretty much, we tried all of them. <laughs> we did um, We did contractors. We did um, mental health step down, NHS step down. We did um, uh, We did start to do some emergency housing with some charities. But eventually we realised that local authorities um, in the South, not just Southampton, but others, do need, um, well, there's quite a high demand for for rooms at short notice so we invited them around we had we got them to have a look at our facilities we we found out exactly what what sort of things that they would need in terms of cooking facilities for example Um, and you know supplying food at all no we didn't need to supply food so that was easy and what we found was that this particular property would would work really really well for emergency particularly for families so we you know we've 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 stuck with that because it's quite hard to mix different guests um in one property so we did try that as well <laughs> so uh yeah we've learnt loads loads
0: in in terms of property classifications and uh, for those of for those people uh, some people would be aware that a regular uh is classed as C3 then you have HMO as C4 unless it's a you know, massive one and it's you know sweet generous uh, and then a lot of hotel accommodation and some service accommodations classed as C1. What, what class does, I mean, we will we'll touch base a bit more about this particular Dewey talking about in this example, but what, what class classification does this property fall under?
1: Yeah, well, this had um, this had sui generis um, short term letting. It was very specific because it was owned by a charity before we bought it and um we you know because we wanted to convert to flats we were very very careful about thinking right um, what could a plan b be you know could we do anything with it like an hmo so we we used a planning consultant as we always do just to be absolutely sure and it was sui generis for up to i think it's 35 people now that wasn't enough for our, from our point of view because if we wanted to let the rooms to the capacity we needed a lot more than that so we went back to our planning consultant and the charity and we found out that they'd been housing 55 people um, on average. But to go back to your question, yes, um, the the particular planning class was specific to its use as a charity for the previous, I think it was up to 10 years, I think. So it was very, very clear what we could use it for. And also the council were quite happy to tell us that they would quite like us to convert it to flats, <laughs> So we knew either would work. but
0: um, yeah. So in terms of establishing, um, as Sen Wharton says on the service accommodation section, he's very, he's learned the lessons from both sides. He's done service accommodation model where he just picked a, yeah, Edinburgh picked a place and just thought, because it's you know very historic, loads of people are going to come visit. And he hadn't established a demand and then realised there was actually quite a lot of competition. It didn't quite work for him where the second time he done it, he reverse engineered everything. He established the demand first, and then he's gone on and created a really successful business. Did you establish the demand first, or did you just think, because you had a couple of exit strategies, that it didn't really matter what you'd done, you, you thought it would work?
1: Yeah, well, I would say he's he's very sensible doing that. Um, but in this in this game of property, at the stage we were at, we were looking to perhaps you know to turn this into flats. So we really didn't have that that breadth and that that research done. So, but what we did know was we did, knew quite a lot about the city, um, and you know we knew Southampton pretty well. And we did look then go and do research pretty quickly around the area, at hotels, bed and breakfasts. And what the demand was um online. So we did we did know that there was demand. It's just when we did our numbers, we worked it out on a sixty-five percent occupancy. And we thought, well, you know, if demand isn't that high and we average sixty-five percent, will we still make a return on investment that we're looking for? Um so yes, I think with hindsight, and I do help teach people <laughs> these things, you
0: would go through your research first. Yeah, research is is important but it sounds it sounds like you had the right contacts right place right time so that sounds that as well <laughs> that's a, a crucial crucial part of of property in in terms of contacting so if, if you were starting again from scratch just is what to try to get into people's heads if people were starting and wanted to do this from scratch then you would suggest locate a locate a property first of all would you suggest locating a property first or actually speaking to local authorities to, to again see what demand is if you could do it again how would you do it step by step
1: yes i would do both i would i would start looking because it does take time to find the right property um but there's less competition when you're looking at larger properties so when i when i help people now i say start looking at large um bed and breakfast style properties or empty Bed and breakfasts. Um, there's quite a lot run down around um, city centres. Usually, they're in the same road as well. They're these old Victorian type of bed and breakfasts. Um, so they're, they're definitely out there. Um, and and I would I would look at um, trying to uh, perhaps consider even a purchase lease option on a property. So if you start looking now, you've got more opportunity to negotiate. Um, And then you do your research as well at the same time so that you can see what's where the demand um, is within charities and councils. Um, Now, I did look at charities and I have looked at housing associations, um, but our sweet spot has very much been um, the emergency housing where they pay per night for stays of up to three months. Um, And so it is very specific and it is you know, it is something that councils, all councils will recognise as an area that they support. Um and yeah, we try different things. We've looked at different class of, of use as well. But this is the one that I I will shout about um and encourage people to do, not in Southampton, because that's against me, but <laughs> in other parts of the country. <laughs> um I you know, I really do think that This has high demand and is a very worthwhile sector to be supporting.
0: Can you just elaborate on what a, for those that uh, might not know what one is, uh, what a purchase lease option is and how it works?
1: So, um, with the first property that we bought, we ended up buying from a charity. Um, and that meant we had to fork out you know quite a few hundred thousand pounds with investor monies, and it all gets complicated with the finance. The second one we we negotiated because there's so much demand, we we were one hundred percent occupied most of the year. We were looking for the next one and the next one ended up being something that was on the market um, at quite a high price. It wasn't being operated. It was empty. And we met the owner and we said to the owner, um, if you don't need the funds today, we'd be happy to buy this off you in, say, five or six years time. um, And we'd be happy to pay you a return on that um, every month. Um, between now and then, would you be interested in earning a return on your money today and still selling it to us at the price or whatever we negotiated at in five years time? And that's a purchase lease option. Basically, you're you're um, agreeing a lease for a number of years. So a rent. So you're renting it off the owner and you we have an option to buy it at the end of that period or any time between the start and the end of that period um so it gives gives the um the owner a return from which they can also borrow so the the person we um we leased from has actually taken um a mortgage out on on the lease so it's really really neat it's very very clever finance uh, but it meant that we didn't have to you know put our hand in our pocket um to buy the property but because we knew we could buy it we were happy to spend our money refurbishing it knowing that in the end it was going to be ours and we would we could then afford to buy it later so it's a really nice strategy i think it works really really well we've negotiated two others subsequently so i know it's it works um particularly for landlords who have owned a property for quite a long time and they may not have a mortgage on it Um, or they may be getting rid of several properties at once, and that's not great in one tax year.
0: No, that can be quite disadvantageous, getting rid of a lot in in, in the same tax year. Do you find that some landlords, when you're talking about purchase lease options, do you find that Some will, if they're familiar with it, will say, well, that's okay, but it gives you the right, but not the obligation to buy. People like that commitment. Have you ever had that query come up in those conversations? If so, how have you got around it?
1: Yes. And it's quite it's quite hard to negotiate um, with a landlord because you do need to understand that they've got a certain um, knowledge and they may not have done anything like this before. So you do need to make it really simple um, and also allay their fears with it. We do use a very, very good solicitor. Um, but really, the, it probably took us five, six meetings of chatting away and getting to know them and reassuring them and showing them what we do elsewhere. And the fact that we've run a property like this before, which does help, um, to give them the confidence to know and trust you um and yes of course there's lots of lots of issues that they'll come forward with you know this you know this this is you know this you haven't got the obligation um and then and then you have to go into a bit more around the legal side of it and make sure that their solicitor is advising them and giving them the right advice um because it 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 is complicated and it can be complicated but when you're negotiating you want to keep it as simple as possible um, whilst continuing to, to give them that reassurance that we know what we're doing. Um, it is quite a skill. And I know the first time I did my first one, I had to pretty much say, I've done I've done it before. I didn't lie, but I did, you know, I did know people who've done it before who were helping me. <laughs> um but you know, it it's it's a tough one, but it's well worth the effort. It really is. Um yeah
0: in terms of the um, how the finance works at the other end Yes I'm gonna guess it's commercial finance, but is it quite specialist um, of, of how the end I mean how, how would someone go out and value such a property
1: Mm. yes it is yes so it's a trading business and that that's the big step that we moved into when we when we first bought um the first property the 26 bedrooms um it is a commercial um, building we it wasn't trading so we couldn't Mm. use numbers to get a mortgage on it as a trading business we had to trade it for a while so what we did was we got a bridging loan on it And after six months of trading, we were able to replace that with a mortgage, a commercial mortgage based on six months numbers. Now, that doesn't always happen that well, because the first six months doesn't always work out great um, in a business. But either way, you do need a specialist lender um, who is used to lending to this type of business. It's very different to, to residential. Um, The company we used for this is a company called Cambridge and Counties. They are quite specialist in hotels and bed and breakfast type of accommodation. So they, you know, very familiar with numbers and they gave us a 25 year mortgage and it was, you know, it was very good. It worked really well for us. We will look to refinance it probably. Um, But most banks won't lend less than three years uh, books. So you won't find a normal high street bank able to lend unless you you give them security on the rest of your property portfolio which we wouldn't really want to do so
0: that's perfectly understandable so cambridge in county if you don't mind me asking uh loan to value what is it 70 75 60.
1: oh uh loan to value, i think was 70.
0: So so pretty much standard for a commercial property then yes yeah perfect okay that's that's good to know and in terms of working with yeah, you know, for example, you've, you've mentioned working with different charities, working with local authorities. Is it just about establishing what they want? Because I imagine everyone's criteria is going to be a bit different.
1: Yes, um, yes, and and every council is different, and they've all got several different departments that deal with housing. So um, it's a bit of a minefield sometimes. But the the secret is really to understand how do they house people when they need to in an emergency and, you know, play the scenario of if there was a fire in someone's council house or the cladding, you know, the cladding we had at Grenfell, you know, horrendous situation. Well, there was a whole block in Portsmouth that needed to be vacated as soon as they realized that their insurance wasn't going to cover them um, and that that cladding had to be replaced. Suddenly we were inundated with phone calls saying we need to house this family, that family, this person, um so that sort of situation, which department in, in the in your local council um, would be placing people and paying for that? Um, because they, you know, they have separate budgets for um for different housing need. So you might have, you know, the children's department is for families. There might be families at risk or families that need to be housed quickly. Now they may come under the same umbrella, so it could be that they've, you know, they've they've had a fire or a flood, and the children are seen to be at risk, and then they come under social services, or it may be that they come under the the emergency housing unit in the council. depends which 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 person's are really picking up their case, and and then we, they will book a, a room with us. They'll phone us up, the council will phone us up, and say, "Have we got a room available for a family of x number of people?" Um, And we'll say yes or no. Um, We always try and keep some spare for emergencies anyway, Um, and they will phone us up. And then we 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 take that booking. They will arrive sometimes usually the same night. We'll take that booking and then we will invoice the council when they leave or, you know, every couple of weeks, whatever it is, depending on how long they're going to stay with us. So it's a very it's a very transactional, a bit like a hotel You know relationship but the council is our um, is our is our tenant if you like you know they're our customer Um, obviously we you know we will look after the people when they're with us to a point Um, we have a live-in manager so um, and that there is cooking facilities particularly for families and within their rooms there's cooking facilities so um, it can work really well for a family to stay together In one place so yes the councils are are the the place to start with your research to find out what the demand is what the need is and I know it's very different in Portsmouth than it is in Southampton but I have three other councils that also use us in the south so they will send people from different locations to us because they know that we've got facilities that that they're happy with and, and that we're professional um yeah
0: so research 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 and find out what what the demand is where the demand is and and basically how you can create a win-win situation completely vital in property to have those win-win situations for let's if we can let's deep dive into some numbers because um, we've done it with everyone so far and you know I've had a few people say oh you know, I don't want to brag or anything like that. it's not about you know it's just about providing a, a realistic, you know, example of what's going on. So uh, if you can, deep dive into the numbers of uh, one of the projects that you've been involved with in, in the short-term emergency letting section.
1: So let's take the this 26-bedroom property that we were going to convert to flats. I think the GDV when we were going to convert to flats was, I'm trying to remember what it was, um, I did have it written here, yeah, it was uh, GDV of the flats was going to be one and a half million, um, just to give you an idea. Um, we, in that first year, we turned over in that 26 room property, 237,000 pounds. Um, and in the last year, so the third year, which was last year finished just recently, uh, 320,000 pounds. So we've gone up significantly in terms of turnover. Um, our gross profit, um, in that first year was 120,000 roughly. And our gross profit this last year was 160,000. Net profits um, first year 64,000. Net profit now 120,000 pounds. So you can see how we've doubled, pretty much, nearly doubled the profit, the net profit of this property by understanding and driving the focus to this particular need. And this isn't about us making massive profit here either. We are providing and, and have refurbished, significantly refurbished this whole property. And it's looking absolutely lovely now. And people people come and they love it and they don't want to leave. Um, now, if I tell you what it was like when we first started, when I was doing my research, I went to look at other places where they housed emergency families and singles, uh, but particularly families and they were just the worst places. I wouldn't put, I wouldn't put my worst enemy there. Um, and they would, they would have families sharing, but they wouldn't share. They would have them in separate rooms, down corridors, up floors, and it was just awful to see. And I thought, well, if we're going to do anything, we can house families in a, a decent way where they can stay together. And I think that's why people will come to us first for this type of of use. Um, they're not luxury by any means and the council don't want us to provide luxury um, because this is not they're going to be their home but it is somewhere they call home even if it is just for a few weeks our 26 bedroom um, building that i've been talking about has um, has been quite interesting because initially we started charging people you know from 25 pounds for a single room up to 50 pounds for a double room or, a, or family room. Um, and they were fairly basic. And we turned over a, over 230,000 pounds in that first year, which was a, quite a shock to us. Um, and we, we net net profit was around 60,000, 64,000 pounds in that first year. And we thought, my goodness, we have an opportunity here to, um, to create a, a really good return on investment. Now we had investors in this property that put the money in for us to buy it initially, um, or certainly deposit monies in. And they uh, ended up being shareholders of this. So their return on investment today is is over 37% ROI on their money. So we turn over now over £320,000 a year. Um, and that's that's ticking up a little bit as we refurbish, our prices go up a little bit. Um, Our gross profit this last year has been 160,000. We have a lot of costs because we actually pay for people to manage this property. So we have a live-in manager. We have a managing agent, if you like, um, that manages all of our um, guest houses because we now have four. So we have high cost. There's obviously high cost of managing and cleaning and maintaining a property of this sort, but because of economies of scale, we have a net profit of over one hundred and twenty thousand um, pounds, which we, you know, we reinvest and we improve it, and we now have a number of other properties that we're doing the same with. So this is a really good flagship example, really, of what's possible. Um, and you know, these people have got massive needs; they have been in some awful places in the past and some of these temporary places we went and did some research on before we before we actually started to try to find out well what's it like for people who have got emergency housing and it's awful really is terrible um really horrible smelly places where they are having to share rooms be in separate rooms families are split up and they have to go outside during the day and they, they they've got to come back at night, you know, and it's like a hostel. It's like a horrible place. It's not a home. And we provide a home for them. But it's not it's not posh, you know, but it's practical and and people really like it. So. So, yeah, so those numbers look really um, look really good and they are good. Uh, we have replicated this in slightly different ways now with a purchase lease option and a couple of and a couple of long leases um, and their turnover is will be something along these lines. Um, we are we are housing street homeless at the moment during our COVID-19 period in in one of our other properties. No, two of our other properties now. So we've had to pivot a little bit to provide um, accommodation for demand. And uh, that's proving extremely um Uh, beneficial for both parties because we've already got experience. And I don't want to go off and uh, and keep ranting on, but uh, we started housing street homeless in the winter last year from October um, on a per night basis on a trial period for three months with the council. The council had a grant given to them from the government. And that went so well that and nearly 50% of the people that stayed with us were able to move on to the next stage of accommodation and that's gone even higher recently. So we're proving that that we're able to support and manage people through temporary accommodation through to something a bit more permanent. And that's really what's, what these numbers reflect is, is taking that risk, I suppose, in the first stage of, of support and then giving them that chance to move on Um, That that's what we we really enjoy with this strategy.
0: Completely, completely agree with you on that. I think, you know, if I was in your shoes doing a similar thing, I think it's, you know, the the money's a great side uh, benefit from it, obviously. And also providing that service uh, effectively is, you know, very, very good. Do you set the prices or do the council give you, so let's just say you're working with the council, does the council give you a, we can do X amount per night? Or do you tell the council what the price is? How does that function work?
1: It started the other way. It started, you know, they would tell us initially because they knew more than we did. Um, over time, we, we were able to to um make sure that we provided what was needed, and we understood um what the council really needed as well and and we refurbished over time and we said actually now our costs uh, have gone up and they and they had you know we we started to provide laundry service because we were doing our own you know the the bedding laundry ourselves down in the basement, and that just became such a huge task and um and you know we're not good at that, that sort of thing, so we now pay for a laundry service. And um, we've got, you know, state-of-the-art CCTV and, um, you know, obviously fire alarm systems. So we've upgraded everything we possibly can for safety. And the council recognised that. And we're happy to pay a little bit more. So there's a bit of a range that they pay, you know. So some of the awful places I'd seen, I knew knew they didn't get paid much because the landlords told me, you know, oh, I get shit shit pay for this one. And you just think, crikey, you know, these are these are real people here. Um, They're not the greatest guests. Of course, they're not. And let's not, you know, let's not believe that they're all, you know, um, sweetness and light. And they are not. Um, but it's only the minority that cause the biggest problem and the biggest headache. And the good thing about short term accommodation in this respect is that we can ask them to leave. Um, we don't have a contract with the individual and we don't have a contract with the council such that we have to house them in in our property. So if somebody's, you know, misbehaving, making noise, you know, bringing something in they shouldn't. Um, or, you know, whatever it might be, we phone up the council and say, look, this person is not behaving according to our rules. Um, they need to be moved somewhere else. And that's when the council will actually move them. Now, we ha- we can physically ask them and take them to the door and ask them to leave. So the live-in manager does need to be quite um, uh, firm, shall I say, mm-hmm. <laughs> on occasions. But, you know, when you provide something nice and, and you respect somebody, you get respect back on the whole. But there's always some people that struggle with that. So so we you know, street homeless is a lot harder from that point of view as well. But again, you know, we found, find find over time they understand us and they learn to trust us Um so, yeah, we do have security on hand from the council with the street homeless if we need it. And we have called on it on, on occasions. Um, but, you know, what I want to encourage people listening to this now is don't rule out this type of of tenant just because you think they're going to trash your place. And they do occasionally. So we do have a room that gets trashed. But. A local authority will pay for that because we know they know and trust us. They will replace a carpet if it's damaged. They will um they will re- replace items that have been broken. Um, so it's not the end of the world, but the positives outweigh the negatives. and I'm encouraging people to give this a go and to contact me if they want to. Um, I'm more than happy to help mental people through. To to make this happen in your particular area, if it's not Hampshire, <laughs>
0: <laughs> caveat: as long as it's not Hampshire, I'm happy to help.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you know, I I help everybody. Everybody knows that. So um, yeah, yeah, uh, it's tongue in cheek, but you know what I mean. Yeah. In,
0: absolutely everyone everyone always jokes about the same thing so uh, when someone says oh I'm gonna buy bye to let's up in blackpool so oh no no deals here i've I've got them all and it's like yeah okay you know at first you believe it and then after a while it's like yeah okay fair enough and um, that I think I think that's great and, and this is this is this is great context it shows that there are other things that you can do out there not just your sort of bread and butter strategies and properties are people business and you know take time to build up those relationships you have the knowledge as well learn the knowledge you know get mentored and so forth would you couple of quick couple of quick questions before we wrap up about this strategy. Would you say that if you if you've never bought a property before and you're new to property would you say this is a strategy that you could get into straight away or would you advise do something else first and then look into this at a later date?
1: Yeah, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't advise it at all because you've you've got to have some experience under your belt. Um, and that's a from buying the place or negotiating a lease. You can't do that if you if you don't own any rental property, um, you just wouldn't wouldn't have the experience to do it. But what you can do if you're completely new, you can find, um, you know, residential houses that could be used by housing associations So think about that. Housing associations are charities that will house people um, who are in need. And quite often housing associations um, have sprung sprung out of local authorities and work very closely with local authorities to house people um, who are in need. So that's an area you could look at if you want to particularly help people in this sector um, so forget the short term, but do the long term. Um, housing associations quite often will take over a property and will pay you a guaranteed rent and they will pay for everything. Um, and and that's great because it means it's less work for you. You may not get as much profit unless you did it yourself. But why not? You know, I think there definitely is demand. So you could start researching housing associations and start thinking about vulnerable people that you particularly have a, you know, affinity with. Perhaps there's plenty out there. You just need to Google it, and you'd be amazed how many people are out there trying to find good quality accommodation. Um, you know that from somebody who understands. I think that's that's the key. Um, you know, every, we're all tarred with the same brush, aren't we, us landlords? You know, oh, you're just out to make a profit. Um, you can do both. You know, I think I'm I'm living proof that you can do both and not take advantage. Um, so, no, I wouldn't start with it, um, but uh, I would certainly work with somebody who's done it before. So, again, you know, more than happy to help people, but um, there aren't many people that are doing this. So, you know, I'm encouraging that. Um, yeah. Does that answer your question? <laughs> 100%.
0: Absolutely, that's a, that definitely answers. That the only thing I'd, I'd add on top of that would be to speak to a mortgage broker when you start getting involved in this this sort of field, because as you've pointed out, it's very specialist and you need to know the right people in the right place on the, on the finance side in order to get things over the line.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I, and I think I would I would add something I haven't mentioned yet, which is this is. Um, this is a trading business. So this is a business that you are responsible for day in, day out, um, every minute of every day. You know, this isn't just, uh, you know, an AST where, you know, they'll tell you if there's a problem. This is running as a business every day. So it's a very different type of, of property investing. So, um, you know, we're responsible for the systems. Um, the booking in systems, the invoicing systems, the um, making sure that we've got all our health and safety certificates every month, every year. Um, and the insurance is, is up to date and the insurance is reviewed every year with the broker because sometimes our tenant types change. You know, it, it this is, no, you know, it's not easy, <laughs> but you can see it's very profitable. So are you prepared to put in the effort to run a business, basically. But thinking about that, I've spent six months in Australia last year writing a book. Um, I couldn't have done that without having very good people managing this business for me um, or with me. I have weekly meetings with them, still do. Uh, Those are going to go to monthly and probably quarterly because we've got our systems now just up and running and we've been running long enough now to to get very good at it um, but day one yeah i'd be down there every every few days popping in just checking you know i interviewed the manager the live-in manager at the first or the first property i don't need to do that now because we've got a good really good team in place so i just want to reiterate that this this isn't something you just do and can then just leave it, you you have got massive responsibility but you've got returns for that
0: and if people wanted to connect with you uh, and find out more about it, I know you've touched on it a couple of times. Um, again, if you listen to this, you know Bronwyn will give you how to get in contact with her. If you're reading this, it will just be beneath what we're talking about. But how do people get in contact with you and how do people start to learn from you with regards to this strategy?
1: Yeah, so you can find me on social media um, with a name like mine. It's not difficult, so Bronwen. Um, um I have um, I have a teaching and education business called Property Investing Foundation. But just Google my name, you'll find me. Um, send me a message. Um, find me on LinkedIn as well. That's probably quite good because all my contact details are on LinkedIn. Um, and yeah, you can um, you can find my book. Actually, that's probably a good place to start. If you, you know, no matter what stage you're at in your property journey. Um, Building Your Dream Life, which I wrote last year, recently published, is uh, on Amazon and Audible and Kindle as well. Um, that tells my story from start through to this. I'm doing some de- developments now, but includes this strategy in there. And you you might sort of read into that. There's a lot of things that we did before we got to this point that just meant it was a little bit easier to um, to take this step forward. Um, didn't feel quite as risky as it may have done if we, you know, we were earlier on in our journey. So yeah, buy the book. That would be great.
0: Perfect. Well, Bronwyn, thank you very much for your time. Really insightful and best of luck with all the ventures moving forward. Thank you very much.
1: Pleasure.